Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome to Ambassador's Corner. Uh, I'm Joy Livingston, standing in for Stevie Kim. Uh, Stevie is in Tuscany uh, right now, hopefully having a wonderful day. It is so warm up here, so I can't imagine what it's like down there. So anyway, uh, here we are. It is 6 p.m. in Verona, Italy. And um, today on Ambassador's Corner, we have Cedric Isri interviewing Frank Cornelissen. So uh, let's see here. Uh, Cedric, are you there? I am, Joy. I am. Hi. How are you today? Very, very good. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here um, and to have the opportunity to, to interview Frank. Wonderful. I, I wanted to ask you a couple questions first before we started, because, of course, as uh, Stevie usually does, she's very big on the... Uh, on the learning objectives, um, and of course, uh, my question first would be: um, How did you discover Frank Cornelissen and his wines? In fact, that was uh, some years, ago, five, six, seven years ago. I discovered the wine. Um, I have to say that I knew the name uh, far before that. Of course, uh, I mean, I was uh, I was usually uh, following what uh, what was happening in the uh, biodynamic, uh, organic wine wine world, and uh, I was following uh, a lot. Some groups in Facebook and in some other places where uh, Frank Cornelissen and, and his wine were debated, discussed uh, a number of times. But at the time, I had uh, I had a lot of wines to to discover already, so I, <laughs> I put that on my on my tasting list, and I say, okay, I will, I will taste when when I have a, a little bit of time. Uh, but it it came so uh, so often in the group that I say. Oh, all right, six, six, seven years ago, I said, okay, I decide to to, to start um, uh, tasting first as a wine of Frank. So I, I bought some some wine. I started with uh, Susukaru and uh, Munjebel Rosso uh, at the time, and I said, whoa, it, it looks to be very interesting. Um, and then I continued to taste. So I I, I went to some of the uh, to some of the cuvee and um, and single vineyard. Um, and in fact, at the time, I was feeling, and I am from, from Burgundy uh, originally, and I was feeling that kind of um, uh, earthy elegance, a little bit of austerity that we can find in Burgundy. And I'm not, I'm not saying here that uh, we would confuse the wines of Frank with wines of Burgundy, but there is something which, um, to me, was reminding me something uh, about Burgundy. And I say, 
okay, that's interesting. And this is where, where I started to really, uh, to really go to, uh, to taste um, the wines from Etna. But um, in fact, at the end of the day, I always come back to, uh, to the wines from Frank because they have their own personality. And I mean, the main, the, the biggest producer and the main uh, producers of, uh, of quality wines in, on the Monte Etna have also a great, a great personality. But I find something which is a little bit Burgundian in, in the one from Frank, and I always come back to this one to be to be honest, and um, and also uh, not not too far too far away from from now. Um, it was a few years ago. Uh, I made a, a diploma in at the University of Strasbourg, and it was um, it was dedicated to uh, discovering terroirs through one specific tasting technique, which is called uh, geosensorial uh, tasting. Um, and I made my paperwork because we had a paperwork at the end of the studies. And I made that on the uh, specific terroir of Etna, um, and then I I could continue to 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 test uh, Frank's wines, but not not only, also others. And I always found this kind of a personality that that is a little bit one step, a little bit more to, to some others. So I this is how I I discover the wine, and this is why I'm still drinking the wine. And currently, I have in on my desk uh, a glass of uh, um, Chiusa Spagnola. Uh, 2016, which is very difficult to find these days, but, but I have that on my uh, on my desk. All right, actually, um, you I didn't really introduce you, and you gave us a little bit of a an introduction on you because um, you just mentioned uh, a, a tasting diploma just a moment ago, uh, the sensory tasting diploma. I mean, you've done so many things. You've been in finance, and um, you you've done you know. It, your family isn't in wine, even though you're from a very wine, a big wine region, but you got really heavily into wine. And yeah, you've done a lot of different certifications, but can you tell us a little bit more about that, that sensorial tasting diploma that you took, like the characteristics, uh, the physical characteristics and movement of the wine in your mouth and things like that? It's a, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, and in fact, maybe, uh, Frank, Frank is, uh, knows pretty well Burgundy, um, and he, in fact, in the old times, I say old times in Burgundy, I speak about the Middle Age, in Burgundy, that was an, a kind of a official charge uh, for some people to, to recognize the wines of the region. So, for instance, uh, people were in charge to recognize if a wine would be coming from Bon Romanet or from, from another place. And in fact, that was for tax reasons, because tax was, uh, tax was at the time applied on, uh, on specific um, specific villages um, and some of the people were specialized in recognizing these, these ones and in fact their um, their testing technique at the time was not the, uh, the sensory that we know today starting with the nose and the color and everything it was starting with the texture so what uh, what the wine is telling you on the palate and here we speak about um, the dynamic of the wine we speak about uh, perceived minerality even if if minerality is not something that we 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 usually use, uh, but how the wine uh, is perceived on the palate and texture of the wine, the grain. Um, so, so all the elements which are more on the physical uh, physical side and, and the guys at the time, they were able to recognize if a wine was coming from Don Romney or from Maurice Saint-Denis or from uh, anywhere else. And guess what? The, um, so when they were testing, they were using a specific cup, which is called a, a Tadvin in Burgundy. And if you have ever tried a Tadvin in Burgundy, if you put the nose on it, you 
you smell nothing, right? It's very, uh, it's very neutral. So everything in, uh, in Burgundy was at the time based on what, what is happening on the palette. Uh, I'm not saying that I am an expert into that because, I mean, these guys have been probably spending years and years and years in learning uh, and knowing the terroir, specific terroirs of Burgundy. But at least I have a, a kind of a preliminary approach to that and, and we are developing into that. Well, I'm sure you will get even more in the know because you're also doing, uh, you just started your Master of uh, Wine program as well. So you're... Uh, you're a wine student, master wine student. So that that's going to you're going to get into it and even more in the next couple of years, I'm sure. All right. So uh, I will um, now um, move on to um, introduce Frank. Frank, uh, are you there? Yep. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Great. Uh, so why don't I? Um, I'm going to mute myself so that uh, you and Cedric can go ahead and and start your discussion and at the end i will um i'll butt butt in again and and um if we have time for questions we'll do that otherwise we can uh yeah let's just continue on now and see how it goes cedric shoot <laughs> ask the questions i will shoot so thanks thanks for for being here today that's a great pleasure for me and um i guess for for some of our audience i think that uh, that's that's a very good day um, maybe I will, will give some uh, some words about um, about what you have done, uh, and then I will shoot some questions. But in your in your bio, if you see something that you are missing that you absolutely want to say, uh, please feel free. Um, so I will summarize a little bit. So you 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 are born and you are from Belgium originally, and uh, before you moved to Sicily and established your current estate uh, back to two thousand one. Uh, you have been a, an international wine trader, uh, in particular. I think, if I'm correct, you you had a quite uh, a, a good focus in Bourgogne and Bordeaux at the time, probably some others. Uh, and I even read some somewhere that uh, some of the first one you bought uh, at the time was a mix of uh, 1972 Domaine de la Romaine et Conti bottles. So if, if it's true, if you are still the bottle, I I am I am very okay to open that with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we drank them all, and we means me and my father and my family. <laughs> and then you move. So you move into in two thousand one. Will um, I will ask you some questions about uh, about this move? But in two thousand one, you moved to um, to Sicily, and in particular on the uh, on the slopes of Etna, yes. and you bought your first bunch of ungrafted vines, ungrafted vines. And today you are uh, approximately, uh, the latest information that I have is you, you are owning something like 24 hectares, which is yeah. a mix today of vines, olive tree, uh, fruit tree, and, and vegetables. That's, that's the latest information I have. Yeah. And what I would like to add, and that's very personal, is, uh, so Frank, for those who, who are not familiar with Frank, but in the world of organic, uh, organic world, is a kind of pioneer, and I would say today you are like a rock star in certain <laughs> in certain uh, communities. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, but what is good into that is that you you have inspired also many other growers, and I, and I think this is very important for um, for the listener to to understand that you have you have been a pioneer and then people have been taken you as as example for doing their, their thing so it's it's a very uh, it's a very nice approach 
your philosophy is considered would be considered extreme by by many. Uh, I I do sense that being the closest possible to nature, I think doesn't seem so extreme so far. So so, so to me it's, it's completely uh, it's completely fine. But you will explain a little bit what what it means uh, in a moment because I will ask you about uh, um, what you are after uh, by creating an ecosystem. Okay. Uh, but more important is that we take that in, in the glass. So I think for me we take that in the glass, and that's that's very important for me. Okay. Then, I I believe I think you were um, you're right when you when you say I want to taste you say a statement or a philosophy in a glass because basically we produce wine. And so if the wines do not um, transmit then, um, this, the, the choices of, um, of, a, of a producer or, or a grower, then uh, I would say you're a bit off track. And so I completely agree with you. Um, ecosystem, <clears throat> what does that mean? It means everything, it means nothing. Um, what I'm trying to, um, to, to find is um, a balance where um, man also fits into nature. You know, a vineyard, and uh, when you go back to uh, to natural um, uh, winemaking or the naturalness, um, there are no vines in a forest. You know, there, there there could be one or two, but you cannot make wine from that. So, if you want to make make wine, which is a concept from a culture, from man, and not from nature then you need to have an organized vineyard to be able to work those vines and to and also pick the fruit from that. So basically we're talking about agriculture, which is a cultural activity uh, and not a natural, um, um, I would say, achievement or a natural, um, uh, a, a natural element like a, like a forest. And, uh, so we're talking about an entirely cultural activity. So trying to, to create a balance uh, is something important because um, when you plant a vineyard, you have to make a scar in a landscape. And a scar means you, you damage. Uh, you're going to damage something. And, um, but it all, everything depends on the, the, um, your consciousness of, um, of, of, of the fact that you will damage and hurt something but you will pre replace it eventually with something else, which is a sign of, um, um, of men, of, of humanity, which is not bad because we, um, um, today I, I feel that we, we tend, to, and we, that means that the entire society is tending towards an, um, um, you know, making mankind something really awful and bad, you know, we have the choices to make something nice and beautiful, or we can really destroy something like war or, um, um, or, or not building everything, just destroying for the sake of destroying. So we have that ability, intellectual, to make choices. So this is really important. And when, uh, when, I, when for me, I personally talk about ecosystem, it's something where we create beauty, which is related to the humankind, which is an, um, something special and specific to the humankind, but which doesn't take away from nature and give something back, where you have like a status quo, where also an, uh, the, the, the humankind is, uh, is present, and not just, I would say, boars or bears and, and um, uh, trees and whatever else that, that comes in, um, uh, I'm not saying by, 
um, by coincidence, because there is no coincidence, and um, at least that's that's my point of view. So we are part of that coincidence, and um, but we can make choices. We can make it more beautiful or um, or less beautiful. And so and, um, back to the practicality: when you plant a vineyard, you have to make an um, damage. It's the same like if you want to make an omelet, you have to break eggs. In the end, you know, you, um, it's true. In the beginning, you break eggs, and you're um, uh, maybe people will be um, absolutely, um, um, I don't know, pissed off and and angry with you. But in the end, when they eat the omelet, it's like, wow, this is good. So you know that that's the same with the uh, with with planting vineyards. It's making omelets, and um, and so you have to break eggs in order to make something beautiful if you give it time. And that's something which is also difficult in today's world where we need everything fast, furious, and immediate. We live in a very immediate um, uh, culture. Uh, and so it's difficult to, uh, to transmit values that go into time. So it's, an, um, it's, a, it's a special period with a lot of opportunities, but also, I would say, a lot of, um, well, energies that, that don't really fit together in, uh, in, this, in today's world. So it's, it's really, that's why it's actually um, uh, very interesting um, uh, to live in, um, I think, this, this world, which is dramatically changing to something where we all search for something better. And so naturalness, attention to nature, uh, organic farming, it all makes part of uh, maybe a vision for a better a better world, um, um, and, and that is something I want to participate to. And you do you do it very well. Um, before we go a little bit more into into the, the detail of it, um, can you can you tell us uh, why the hell happened to you back in two thousand one that you you left your let's say happy life in in Belgium and you decided from one day to another to land in in Etna what what was your your journey to come to that point it's difficult to say that in the, in two minutes but basically um, if you go to the essence i i've always wanted to uh, to to produce wine first of all because it was given um, uh, by my father and um, the, the passion of wine. Now, from the passion of wine, tasting wine, and loving wine, to producing wine, that's a big step. Um, uh, but in the middle, um, there are a few other ingredients, which is the, the love for mountains, and um, alpinism, climbing, the, and, uh, the touch of mountain, a lot of sports, and um, uh, my drive to always try to perform better physically, but also in what I do and what I search for. And so I, f I find wine a bit like alpine climbing, a very complete activity where you do something from A to Z. Like wine, you produce the raw material um, um, which you will transform afterwards and you will talk about it and you will do promotion and you can exchange what we're doing now. So this is a very ancient, archaic activity, basically, because normally you outsource. Like, okay, I produce a detail in a component um, for a car or a computer or whatever else, or bricks for a house. But, you know, it, it's really um, something complex. It would be like I construct a house, um, searching and selecting and building all my components to, to make that house. It's basically the same. So, you know, it, it's a very, um, uh, again, it's a very archaic and antique and, um, 
activity which implements also a lot of people. It's very very labor cons- um, uh, and, um, intensive. So it, it, it's it's uh, it's it's one of the, the the most unique, I would say, professions which are left over. And it's a bit the same when you go alpine climbing. Obviously, from uh, from a different point of view, it's a, um, alpine climbing is not just a sport. So you don't have this agonistic um, um, competition edge. Actually, there is no competition except for, uh, with yourself. You have the uh, um, the, the challenge with um, uh, from you with um, uh, the surroundings, call it nature, the challenges you uh, you look for. And you know there is adventure, there is camping, there is uh, you can drive it up to the uh, the limit of an, um, life and death, which gives you an incredible thrill, not and um, uh, be because the the death, um, uh, but because of the life issue. So, you know it it just kind of fitted with the, uh, what I was going through, and so this was um, actually making wine is quite simply an extension of uh, of what I was doing and um, already in, in in all the twenty or thirty years before that. And why having chosen the mountain? Is it because you have your mountain, as you mentioned? How did you land here? Was it something that you, you had in mind already, or was it coincidence? No, I don't do anything by coincidence. And, um, I choose and, uh, because otherwise people or events, they choose for you, which I, um, I don't really like. And uh, So it's a conscious um, um, or it has been a conscious um, process and it still is in, um, for, for many things I do. It's a conscious process where um, I, I apply a technique of, and I call it uh, deduction, Elimination. I eliminate the um, the, un- the unnecessary, the un- um, the the superficial, and I, I I try to to focus on the on on the essential parts of of a, of a project. And so this brought me to Etna, uh, but not just to Etna, not the eastern side, but the, the northern valley of Etna, because we have all the ingredients uh, ingredients for uh, for great winemaking. There was no uh, monoculture. You had um, um, a very intense light and, uh, and so photosynthesis. The sandy soil, um, uh, you have different lava flows, which means geologically you have a similar situation to Burgundy, and, um, except from, uh, from a different um, point of view and from a different, uh, different uh, physical um, activity, which is volcanic. Um, it's true the soil is very young compared to, to a clay soil, like an um, um, or, or, or the, the the geological um, period of Burgundy, um, but the ingredients basically are um, um, were all here. Um, uh, the rainfall also. It's not that we we are in in, uh, in a desert. Actually, it's it's pretty green up here. Um, so you know all the ingredients were here for great winemaking, and that's what I was looking for. And um, not just the the natural winemaking. The natural winemaking is the way, the vision. It's the um, um, is an uh, it, but not the end goal. It's the it's the road um, uh, to take to achieve the goal to make great profound wines. And you know, I I think I, I found this here on, uh, on on. But you know, the a different thing. But we can um, uh, maybe it'll come in in. Uh, you've got this written down also in your um, in your questions. The the thing is when you hit an area like that, the question arises: How long will it take before also, Etna becomes rolled over, and just like in Burgundy, um, uh, will be basically a monoculture. So, 
I don't know, but um, uh, inevitably, <laughs> as we are, as the human uh, race is here and, and, and starting to plant, and, um, you know, it, it's up to us to also protect and, to, and um, to, to try to keep this a, a, natural, a naturally balanced environment. And, and I think we're, we're much more ready for, to do that today than, than it was the case in the 1960s or 70s. So times have changed. And so I, I do believe this will be a, a really nice area also for the future. And um, from that period of 2001, How did you um, did you develop your your estate? You starting, I think, from few vines, quite uh, high in altitude, and how did you develop from from there to the uh, the current state that we see, 24 hectares with a mix? What what were the uh, the key steps and stages for for your development? Um, very honestly, I um, uh, I didn't come here to um, to to have a winery and to to have a business. I just came here to make wine, which is a very different approach. And so the first years on, um, were, I call this gardening, you know, um, uh, gardening to, um, uh, to produce grapes, to, to make wine. And, and that has lasted until 2002. I think 2002, you know, you, you see the, the, the potential, the, the, the ideas, and, and then, you know, you... you I think it's 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 a problem of most passionate passionately involved people in a project. You tend to lose track of reality, and you just zoom into um, um, your 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 I would say imaginary world of, of what what you see ahead of you. And that was the same for me. And so from there on, you know, it's it's been an um, an incredible journey of um, um, of changes, absorbing. And um, uh, it's not experimenting, but eliminating it because you you need time to every change. You have one change every year, basically, because you only have one harvest in a year. So you have it takes so much time to um, uh, to, to 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 change a number of things um, uh, agriculturally, but also winemaking. So it's been an incredible journey afterwards. And, uh, but the goal was always to um, do better. And when you want to do better, you need more uh, more vineyards, and so you you buy more, you rent more. And so today we we, we work 24 hectares, but it is in, um, about 15 or 16, which is ownership, and um, and the rest is rent lease, which will gradually disappear, and uh, because we're planting um, a lot um, a lot new. So it's a very organic process, although it does seem quite. Um, quite a big change. Actually, it's not. You know, everything is is totally organic. We and um, I worked on um, the, the first vintage. I worked on my own. You know, and uh, everything on my own. Thank you for listening to Italian Wine Podcast. We know there are many of you listening out there, so we just want to interrupt for a small ask. Italian Wine Podcast is in the running for an award, the best podcast listening platform through the Podcast Awards, the People's Choice. Listener nominations is from July 1st to the 31st, and we would really appreciate your vote. We are hoping our listeners will come through for us. So if you have a second and could do this small thing for us, just head Head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show.
And then, you know, today we work with, an, um, uh, over the whole year, we have 25 employees, which feels perfectly balanced now. Um, uh, so it's, um, I don't see a big change, a big jump. It's, it's all um, a very, I would say, nice flow and, um, uh, of growing to something which is making absolutely great and profound wines and and, and that's that's the drive um, um, but not and that is something important not consuming and um, um, energy and consuming people and consuming um, um, resources but and um, um, absolutely investing in um, um, in, in in durable uh, and sustainable agriculture which when I'm not here anymore in 25 or 30 years, that I leave the land better than it was before to our kids. If we, if we, if we now move a little bit to the specificities of, uh, of the terroir of Etna, uh, I had the chance to, to study this a little bit, but of course it doesn't replace somebody who has his feet on the land for 20 years. So mm-hmm. what can you tell us about uh, this specific piece of land, which is northern Etna? Um, about the terroir. So when we speak about here, uh, climate, what are the influences uh, that you have on the vines? Uh, might it be elevation? And we, we might be speaking also more specifically about the soils. And when we say volcanic soil, it, it covers multiple, uh, diverse, uh, it covers the diversity of soils, of course. But what can you tell us about the, um, the terroir of northern Etna? You know, it's a question um, um, when you would ask that to, an, uh, I don't know, La Lubis Le can you tell me something about the terroir of, an, um, uh, of Romani or of, of Burgundy? You know, it's basically, it's limestone, you know. Mm-hmm. Here it's basically an, um, a basalt, which is, um, uh, well, it's not lava. Basalt is and has different aspects also. So, you know, we do not have any limestone. We do not have any... Uh, clay soil or, or clay um, in in our soil, so it has high drainage. Um, it is um, sandy by structure, and it can go from very powdery sandy um, to, I would say, rocky in um, in, uh, in in some specific cases. But then we're talking about soil, you know, the the upper part. <coughs> when you go into the subsoil, um, there are so many numerous differences that it's just i don't even know what to talk about it and um, uh, because you know we, we're doing we're running analysis on the on the land we have but then we need we need to work with graphs and so in there if you're an agronomist and you know something something about chemistry it's easy and it's and it's interesting to uh, to analyze that but and, um, uh, when you analyze it you don't know anything because you have to have the wines next to it also so for us it's important to understand the chemistry, because we do not have the culture of a greater war like Burgundy, like in the Côte de Nuit. And, uh, you know, the Côte de Nuit and, um, has an, um, um, an experience-based, and, uh, I would say, analysis of, uh, of the soil. And you have the wines that tell their story. When, you, when, uh, when we're here on a completely new um, soil like uh, or area with potentially great wines and um, with and, um, with a lot of differences in um, in, in the different sites uh, well we have we will need to go on a scientific although in science we can find a certain answers but not all of them 
but if we don't go through science, we don't uh, know. You know, we we miss also a, a lot of um, a lot of answers to questions. So. Back to your question, I don't have the answers yet. And, um, um, I will have a part of the answers and, um, uh, much more clearly in, um, in five or ten years when we, when we can compare the analysis of the soils over a ten-year time with the wines next to it, with the pHs, with all the, um, with all the other wines also. Um, uh, because, you know, our wines is one thing, but the other wines of the same areas, they, they also... They should also confirm the, I would say, the, the characteristics of, of an area. So, you know, it's it's interesting. And, and they are there because, uh, you know, if, if you taste the wines, they are definitely there. Uh, so, you know, somebody says like, okay, it's all, um, um, it's, it's all fried air. Okay, you know that's that's possible, and um, some people have uh, have incredible taste, and they uh, they are able to taste and uh, subtle differences. Others not, and so yeah, I can understand that uh, that people say like I don't get it. Basically, that's uh, it's perfectly fine. You just concentrate on on, on other wines, but undoubtedly and absolutely, I mean, crystal clear is that we have an incredible difference. In um, in a very very short radius of uh, of area, and that is basically due to different subsoils, and not because of the vines. You know, we um, in our case we don't use wood, and so our experience based on, um, uh, analysis, which is called wine, um, is made in exactly the same way. So all the single vineyard wines are made in exactly the same way, not with wood, but in fiberglass. And so when you taste the wines. The only difference there is is the purity of the fruit. You know, there can be a little bit of a difference in in the picking time, in the in the, in the, the ripeness, the the pressing. But you know, it's so close and so tight. The last and um, uh, four or five years, because we have an incredible team, we've got a lot of equipment, and um, uh, we work spot on in um, uh, on, um, on on maturity. We work also with the you know, with a great agronomist, and so. <clears throat> we will eventually get to understanding better the, the the soil technically, but you know from a holistic point of view, and um, you know it's 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 actually an, um, uh, like talking about an, a piece of equipment in a cellar or um, analyzing the, the the chemical components of a soil, which makes me sometimes laugh a bit. But when you taste the wines, then you understand everything. Because the wine is a holistic, tactile, hedonistic product of that soil, and you know, undoubtedly, some in some cases, it's not. The, I I regard some of the vineyards not up to the level and standard of making single vineyard wines, like in Burgundy, like and then you, you can have a Volnau or C, or um, but that's definitely not the level of a Latage or a Richebourg or um, um, I don't know a Beaumont. Uh, so. You know, and that's the same thing here. And uh, so some areas I understand now they have absolute high quality to be bottled as such and, and because they have a logic to that. Others, they are great for blending and they have their qualities and they have their logic in the, uh, in the assembled ones. So it, it's, a, it's an incredible area, but it, it, it'll need another generation of time to to be able to, to give you an absolute scientific answer. And to be honest, you will never get 
an absolute scientific answer to an, a holistic and a hedonistic product like wine. You know, that doesn't exist. That, that would make wine a little bit too simple, you know, like, like beer or like, you know, like water. And it's just a fascinating part of, of wine, not because it's better, but it has something uh, holistic and special to it. And you cannot analyze it. You cannot, let's say, reduce it to a, f- a few silly components in, in chemistry. And, and this is why we we hear sometimes some um, uh, high quality producers saying that oh I made my my best wine in a year where it was by accident or I I don't know what I have made differently than sometimes uh, sometime in the past but I mean it was it was the uh, it was a terroir giving uh, me the greatest wine I have ever made I have I have I have heard that sometimes uh, so well sometimes you don't understand sometimes and and that's fine. Yeah, but I, I'll, I can I jump in on that one? That's it's an interesting cool. one. Um, actually, it's an, um, it's a more a question of um, in some vintages you you manage to make such a thrilling wine and you don't know why the hell that was. Like for example, 2011 Magma is um, is such a compelling wine; it's incredible. But afterwards, when you um, have more experience and when you want to understand, because um, there's also the wanting to understand. Like I talk about, um, um, let's say, sensorial and um, well, um, um, holistic approach, which is very much the case. But I'm also extremely technical and very scientific. And so I, when the science and the, um, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the sensation, the holistic view flows together, uh, um, then I think you, um, um, you, touched, you touched base with, them, um, with, an, uh, with something great and something totally understandable. So back to what, uh, what you're saying, there, 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 is, um, um, uh, there is an explanation. For example, if you take Cheval Blanc 47, why is that such a great wine? Well, you know, because it had a little bit more volatile acidity than it should have had. And it's a stunning wine because of such an incredible vintage with all the components. And so it just really was a compelling wine. So, you know, um, uh, Rayas 90, for example, why was that so good? Well, because it had a little bit of residual sugar and it just gave that absolute sexiness, this this roundness, this lushness. And, you know, obviously nobody can, can choose when that wine was stopping fermentation. So if you go to the, to the Rayas 90, I can understand that because it had a little bit more um, uh, residual sugar left, which absolutely made that, that snap thing special. And the 47 um, Cheval Blanc, I'm sure they, um, they missed something in the cellar, but they made something incredibly good. And so now we're hitting another point. I do believe that the greatest wines or considered greatest wines of the world are all wines with flaws, good flaws, positive flaws that have something special and they represent something unique because of the imperfection. You remember when you look at the, um, a piece of art, um, a painting, anything and, um, uh, that represents art, um, also in architecture, it's the flaws that define the greatness. Obviously, too many, you know, it's, it's going to be a mess. It's the right amount of flaw. And that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting approach, um, I have to say. Uh, 
I guess I guess uh, drinking a glass with you in your cellar would be interesting if you if you speak about Raya uh, 90 or Cheval Blanc 47. Uh, I drank yeah. them, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> well, thank good for me, but uh, it's not you know this um, uh, this one thing I I really feel a bit sad about. You know, I come from an I was born in '61, and so back to the case of Romani Conti, the mixed case of '72. I bought one, my father also, and you know I I drank them uh, together with my father, with friends, and so those were my learning schools. Like somebody else goes to university, in in some ways, so. Those are are some of the benchmark wines. But by the way, they were not really the the the, the great wines. You know, there were other wines that really made me think and then uh, really made me go beyond. You know, and, uh, Henri Jaillet, for example, Coparentou. I had the the opportunity in Brussels and um, in a restaurant and um, to to have eighty nine and ninety. Well, believe me, ninety was so good, and uh, because you know. 89 was so black, so concentrated, so very much Henri Jaillet or Meo Camuset style, like this uh, cold soak, that the, the wine was, was really unpleasant to drink. And the 90, because of this vibrant, incredible, um, um, you know, big vintage, it was a warm vintage, you know, Henri Jaillet, he just struck it because his technique was perfectly suitable to express that wine to its absolute best. So, you know, if they serve me 89 Gros I say like, well, you know, yes, I'd, I'd love to have a glass, but if I can choose, please, a bottle of 90, much better. <laughs> you know, what we're talking about here is that also I have my technique. I have my, my vision of making wine, but it took me until 2018 to understand that when you fix too much on your technique and you think that is the absolute best or the, the only, the, the most unique or the most applicable to express wine, then you're totally wrong. You know, every day and every vintage, it teaches you to, to, to change. And so I believe personally that um, uh, you, you should have a goal in what you want to, um, uh, to, uh, to express with your wine which is either um, the fruit or it is terroir. But suppose like in 18, in our case on lightning, we had such a terrible um, vintage and so it was really difficult. So I had to search for fruit because, you know, there was no profoundness because of the, 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 the lack of the, the richness in the, in, in the fruit. And so only that thing, you know, it, it just made me feel really good because I do think that 18 are really interpreted well that, uh, that vintage. And, uh, and I didn't follow my usual style of winemaking, so I changed or I I just abandoned the classic style, which I could adopt again in 19, in order to make good wine, maybe not the most profound wine, but anyway, the fruit couldn't give profound wines. So I, I think that flexibility of mind is something that, that is, an, um, you know, that, that took me a lot of time to understand and to apply. And also, I do believe that <clears throat> I can um, apply that because ba I'm not a technician. I love technique. I love mechanics. I, I love analysis. But I, I love, in the end, you know, drinking a wine and a drinking a glass of wine that transmits something, a vibrancy, 
and um, a story, a vision, and that is important. So in the end, that's what counts. And so whatever technique it takes, it is important to to um, uh, to understand your area, um, what you want to pull out of your grapes, understand the quality, the concentration of the grapes, and then apply the best technique to uh, to achieve that. And that means, you know, you have to be a good technician. You have to have a really good sense of an um, uh, of um, uh, of environment, and um, you have to have great intuition. And and so, you know, you're you're talking. Basically, about a split personality than um, a character like I am. And when I think about other people, you know, I think great winemakers, they have a split personality on them. It's it just undoubtedly. They have intuition and they have the, the, the complete mechanical and, and um, um, you know, artisanal physical part and, um, uh, next to them. It, it's, a, it, it's, it's a, yeah, call it a complex. Yeah, it's it's complex people, man. Basically, although we're basically totally simple, but that's why sometimes my wife says, like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And I'm, uh, well, you know, it, I'm, it's 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 not that I'm really complex. I'm just jumping sometimes from one thing to another in the same conversation, and just like, okay, it's uh, for me, it's totally limpid and clear, but for other people, it's totally impossible to follow. So you know, it's it's funny actually. It's a great profession, anyway. <laughs> I, guess, I guess your personality is is, is transcripted in the in the glass at the end of the day, which which is what is uh, what is. I I think so. I think you're absolutely right. Um, coming back to to one point we we briefly discussed about, which is uh, the ecosystem, or let's say the interaction between the different natural elements. Mm. How how did you and with today probably you have a lot of experience or you start to have real experience of knowing your your land. What kind of interaction are you looking at nowadays uh, when you are in the vineyard? For example, when you plant trees or when you select, for example, a type of vegetables or a type of uh, crop that you would put in your in your vineyard. What what are the drivers for putting that in practice today? Uh, what I do want to avoid is uh, putting something in an environment which does not belong there. So I, I love, for example, yuzu, which is, um, um, uh, how do you call this? It's, like, um, it's not an um, uh, orange or lemon. It's a, it's a citrus um, uh, but, um, uh, fruit from, from Japan, but we do not have the climate here and it's never been here. So I, I'm very wary about bringing something into a culture which does not belong here. So um, uh, what I do like um, um, uh, is um, uh, to find um, uh, a balance between not just grapes, but also, for example, the small apples, which is called cola, a puma cola. It's a variety, and a local variety. And, um, there, there were almonds and, um, on the outskirts and um, uh, olive trees to, to also for the barriers of wind. So it doesn't blast through your vineyard and snaps all the uh, all the shoots of the vines. So there are a, a lot of natural protections to to leave instead of just taking them out and and and, uh, and I would say changing an, an an ecosystem, like I call it. So I, I think that ecosystem is something really basic, very simple. When you live here, it's like you know it's around you, and so you you can see it and you apply it and uh, wherever you can. So for me, it's something. 
basically natural. And um, I, I don't want to plant the vineyards and, uh, unless I, I prepare a completely new one. I, um, uh, I scramble the eggs. I, I crush it. I do make an omelette. And then after three or four years, um, um, you will see a vineyard with trees on the end of the rows and everything. And so the, the whole thing gets a form and becomes an, uh, becomes beautiful again. So that is something I, I like. So my ecosystem is very, very simple. It, it's very much based on what there was before and what we're doing here. And, and in fact, this is a good point and good conversation because... Um, I, I had discussion with some uh, some vintners in in Alsace, for instance, and nowadays there is a kind of movement to to come back to something which is more simple. I mean, in the past we had trees, we had we had a number of uh, natural elements, and nowadays we are seeing again about coming back to that kind of a of a simplicity, even if it's not simple, right? But simplicity. Yeah, I think it's an, uh, it's a good way. You know, you. You take again. It's the same principle um, uh, what I was talking about and, uh, before. You take away the excessive part of an, um, of I would say of, of basically everything. You just go back to the essence of something, and then you find an, um, uh, you find a really nice and um, a nice balance. Uh, and then you also notice when um, that your grapes they or fruit in general. They they like being with with other food because you 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 get this pollination uh, the, uh, the the ecosystem is that you know it's it's a it's a complex of different things um, and so it's nice to watch that and and so it's it, you know it's it's not nice to 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 cut everything away and to to make like an um, uh, an, as, an asphalt road you know roads they're great to drive with a car on but it's not really a fantastic environment to sit on and to and, um, uh, to to contemplate and um, especially not in the in the warmth and in the uh, in the, in the summer so nature is something else speaking about nature um we know that etna has gained uh, a lot of uh, international recognition for nevero mascalese and calicant um, I know that Calicante, you, you, you usually blend with uh, Grecanico Dorato, but what can you tell us about Nerello Mascarese? I, I, I sense that you love this grape, and I think that <laughs> we, can, we can feel that also in the wines. What can you tell you about Nerello Mascarese? Why is it doing so well uh, when planted with conscience in, on the Etna? Well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll answer you in, um, in a different way. Um, my question is, um, uh, what happened in Burgundy? Why is, is Pinot Noir such a, um, uh, um, uh, an incredible vehicle for Burgundy? Honestly, I'm, uh, I, I don't really know. It just apparently through the, 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 the ages and through the centuries, um, by experiments and by trial and error, uh, this vehicle, because a varietal is a vehicle, uh, has has proven and has shown to to give good results. So you know, back to Nerola Mascalese. For me, it, it can be it can be anything. You know, it could could also be for me an, an, a hybrid varietal, which has a great ability to to make profound wines and to and, uh, to make delicate wines. So uh, for me, it's uh, it's the same like in car racing. It doesn't matter which car wins, you know, it could be a Porsche, a Ferrari and a Red Bull and whatever else, you know, it just doesn't matter. 
the fastest, the best built car wins the race. And that's the same thing with the um, with great wines. You know, the best varietal is the one that, that that gives the best results. And so I don't care about Narella Mascalese. I don't care about Pinot Noir. I don't care about Riesling, anything. I just have them. And so I should make the best choice for the best vehicle to show the terroir. So in this way, I'm a little bit, on, um, um, well, not just a little bit, I'm quite fond of uh, Marcel Days, who just goes beyond and says like, okay, there are rules, you know, not the varietal. And I totally agree. For me, varietal is a car. It's a vehicle. And if I want to win a race, I take the fastest car, period. And the same thing in the winemaking. So if we talk maybe in, in, in 25 years from now, before I'm dying, maybe I'm ripping out all the Nerella Mascalese gradually, and I'm just planting some um, something else in it. It's possible. It's a bit provocative as an idea, but if you really think about it, that's basically what happened for um, uh, for the last centuries. So I don't exclude that. Yeah, I I, I worked a little bit with Michel Dice uh, recently, and in fact, the uh, the diploma I had in Strasbourg was under the patronage of Michel. So I I know pretty well that kind of approach. Uh, Here we go. It's, it's it's discussable, you know. It's on um, because there is another element which is which I'm I'm very fond of, and uh, it's it's history and uh, and the past. But let's be honest, you know, the uh, the past is past. It's the future we have, you know. Today is already gone. While we're talking, it's gone, you know. It's an, um, uh, we can record it, but then again, we're um, uh, we're we're listening to the past. I'm I'm concerned, and that's that's really an honest statement. The only thing I'm concerned with is the future. The rest is already gone. It's done. Speaking about um, uh, speaking about the uh, the way you are making wine, so you, you were saying that you are doing you have a, a wine making which is pretty much the same for all the wine. I have written an article on which is probably issued these last days on the on the purple page from Jensen Robinson. Where you you have said that you have introduced some stems or you you didn't mm. stem in some way, um, but in general, what is your your views about winemaking? What are you looking for, and what is different in the winemaking that you are making today compared to what you were making at the at the beginning, let's say in two thousand, let's say three, four, five, six? Um, what what's your what's your view on that? Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's difficult to say because it's not just one element. <clears throat> it could be two or three elements, but when you intermingle them, you cross um, 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 uh, two or three elements. You know, you can get um, uh, get already nine different results. So basically, I'm not doing a lot of different things. Um, so you know, we it's all about the the oxygen management that has been, you know, that's in, undoubtedly much more precise and much better. We've got more people in the cellar. We've got a lot more equipment since 2014. And so, you know, there's no comparison of what we're doing today um, uh, compared to, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so that's one thing. The stems is a different issue. You know, the stems, on, uh, but believe me, already since 2011, I was using a little bit of stems in the in, um, in the wines because eleven was quite a well, quite a serious vintage and then so I did use them in for example the cuvee Montecola and I I kind of liked it I uh, let's say I didn't dislike it let's put it this way um, because at that time you know I wasn't really sure whether I liked it or not but let's say I didn't I did not dislike it 
So it's interesting to um, to, to to really um, I don't know to 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 think about it because um, in France the whole bunch culture or the the carbonic fermentation was, was so diffused and, and so so much applied and um, which I I was never a really big fan of because you taste it and um, at least for, for my taste. I was going to Beaujolais, and then you went to the Rhone, and you, you tasted a Petit Syrah, and it was tasting basically like a Gamay. So I said, like, well, you know, that is style. And when style becomes apparent and gets the overhand on terroir, then personally, that's where the line is. So another example, Vin Jaune. Vin Jaune is style. Nobody puts a vineyard name on a vin jaune because it's an oxidation process which can make really fantastic wines to an, um, to drink and um, with an incredible good comté. So it has all of that has a total perfect logic to it. And, uh, but if you're talking about great winemaking, precise winemaking, you know, then the style needs to support the wine through the gate of transformation into the, um, the expression of territory. And so, you know, I've always been really picky and really wary about using this carbonic um, um, technique with, um, uh, with stems because the stems, if they're green, they're tannic, they can be really harsh. And the aging, you always feel like a double-decker and... Um, tannin level, the one from the fruit and the one from the uh, from the stem. So, you know, I but I had to try it because if you don't try it, you're talking theory. And so I tried first only stems, flipping them into it uh, because we de-stem. So I took some stems out, washed them, rinsed them, cleaned them perfectly, I flipped them back in. And, you know, it kind of worked. That was 2011. 2014, and um, I did some whole bunch too little and so i didn't notice it and i said like well that's fine but i don't really find a difference so you know uh, i i really wasn't really i wasn't paying too much attention and then 2018 i had this really difficult vintage and i uh, i used 20 percent of whole bunch 20 percent is quite a lot um at least for my uh, for my feeling and you know it tasted a bit bojolage if I can say that, carbonic, but not a lot. And so with the aging, I feel the fruit has become really nice because there was not much else in the wines. And so I reduced it a little bit. And today I'm using partly, I would say 10 to 20%, depending on the, the, on, on the, on the quality of the vintage and of the, and, um, especially on, on the sugar levels and the alcohol levels. Um, it was interesting to uh, to see that I think my wines have become a bit more approachable, uh, extracted, but also fruity. And so I found, um, uh, in my case, a better balance to to have more, I would say, delicate and and yeah, more balanced wines in the end. So it, it's a process. Um, I'm conscious about about the timing. Um, Frank, I will ask you um, uh, one last question, and and then we have a question from from the audience. Um, mm -hmm. I will ask you a question which you you can certainly 
spend a lot of time in answering, but but maybe uh, in in one word, what you would say is so today, if you want, uh, if I am a vintner who wants to establish and make, let's say, organic slash natural wine, um, how, how can I say that? Is it is it possible today to do that and make still a living with that? Um, so what what's your opinion on that in, in one word? I mean, and again, we would need a probably another question. Well, um, yes, you can. It depends on the person. If you're driven enough, I would I would put it in few words. If you're enough masochistic, if you uh, you um, if you love suffering and um, if you love the challenge of going totally bankrupt and and, um, and if you want to take that, those risks, then I would say. Go for it. It's it's great, but you're gonna sacrifice family. I hope they, they you don't have kids when you start with that. And then I think and, um, uh, when you you're also pretty egomaniac, I think you've got a chance to make it. <laughs> that sounds attractive. Thanks. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, all right. Um, maybe we have a question from from Paul, and I will ask. Uh, I will ask a question. I will read the question for you. Okay. Paul, Paul is asking, as a visionary who helps creating modern Etna, what would you like to see for Etna with respect to viticulture 100 years from now? Ah, nice question. I would like to see um, uh, two things. First of all, um, and this is not just Etna, but it's also Etna, that the littering stops and that we pay more attention in the schools. We've got two kids going to school. They're 10 and 12 years old. And I, I see that Nothing much gets done about the um, the, the essence of um, uh, of, the, of the littering. So a big problem in the south and in the Mediterranean, I think, is the littering. So if we can, in the next twenty years, if I can see that improve, that would be absolutely great. The second thing, and that's specific on Etna, I would love that the consortium. But we're talking about this, so I'm very confident we'll get to a point to um, be able to make stone walls, not with huge, big blocks, but like they used to be, the stone walls, like in, in, uh, in, in, in Alto Adige, in, uh, in, in northern Italy, when you make stone walls, like, for example, in, uh, in Hermitage or in, um, in Cornas, when you, when you make them, you make them with smaller rocks and stones. And um, um, it, is, it is craft. It's uh, maybe a romantic idea, but it's so beautiful to see the, the stone walls built by... Uh, hands of men, and um, it, it's a t- totally different thing. So I would love to see and, um, uh, that more developed instead of having these big blocks and, uh, and littering all over. I hate that. That was the last word. I will, I will turn, turn, to, turn back to Joy uh, for closing. We are already at the end. It was very fast. Uh, uh, Hi. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that did go really, really fast. Uh, w- wonderful conversation. And I uh, especially like that answer you just gave about uh, the Paul Bologna's question. So I am going to close the room. I thank you both very, very, very much for coming on Clubhouse and, and giving us all that information. And, and it's a wonderful conversation. Um, this will be replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast in the coming weeks. And of course, I'll let you both know when it, it will be published so you can, uh, you can tune in. And um, with that, um, buonasera, everybody. Thanks. Thanks to all of you. Ciao. Bye-bye.
Ciao a tutti. Buonasera. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitaliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.